Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And today we're going to be talking about sinkholes. This is actually, I think, in a way a listener request topic that, that turned out to be very interesting, but it's uh, it's sort of leapfrogging off of some some previous episodes we did. Rob, did the, did the sinkhole journey begin when we were talking about the Sarlacc from Return of the Jedi? I think that was the original context. I think that was the original point at which we began to hear listener mails uh, about the idea of doing a sinkhole episode because we talked about the, the Sarlacc and then we talked about some uh, ideas and was it uh, Mesoamerican uh, mythology concerning uh, entities of the ground that swallow things up? Oh, that could be it. Well, I know we ended up talking about the Bible, which we'll revisit in a minute here. Mm-hmm. But one of the questions that came up was – you know that scene in movies where there's an earthquake and and then a, suddenly a crack opens up in the middle of the street and it's you know miles deep and it just swallows people down into it. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the question was like, does that kind of thing really happen? Does you know, during an earthquake does the earth open up and open these deep pits and chasms uh, that people fall down and disappear into? And our, our previous answer to that was, well, not really, or it seems like that's that's extremely rare if it ever happens. That's not like a common feature of uh, what happens to the surface topology during an earthquake. But sinkholes, a listener pointed out, are a very different story, and sinkholes could explain many of these stories uh, uh, from from mythology and all that of the earth opening up and swallowing people. We can get back into that in a bit. But you actually turned up a really interesting photo essay about a, a fascinating sudden opening of a sinkhole uh, just earlier this year. That's right. Uh, well, actually, it was last year. Oh, it that's was, right. Uh, it was in 2020. You remember 2020, Joe? Oh, God, yeah. I, I haven't turned the, <laughs> the calendar fully yet. It's still, uh, it's still, it's like that year is kind of like the the other world in Hellraiser. So it's got chains with hooks in them and they shoot out of the walls. And they, so the hooks are still in my brain, but I'm slowly, methodically rebuilding my body to escape 2020. <laughs> All right. Well, this one, this story takes us back to April of 2020. So, um What happened is a hole opened up in the front yard of a home in Black Hawk, South Dakota, uh, specifically in a housing development there that was called, perfectly enough, the Hideaway Hills Development. (laughs) Now That just doesn't sound great. I mean, no offense to the people (laughs) who live there, but that doesn't sound like a place I want to go. It sounds like a place where, I don't know, where you like retreat after you've committed a crime. What was the uh, the housing development on Arrested Development? Sudden Valley or something Sudden like Valley. that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, that would be appropriate as well. Yeah. Yeah. So um, like you pointed out, there's an incredible photo essay, photo series on this on Board Panda about this. If you look up Board Panda, Blackhawk, South Dakota, sinkhole, you will find it. Because uh, this uh, photo essay, if you will, it takes us through a journey by a local caving group called uh, Paja Sapagrato uh, as they decided to venture down into this hole that opened up in this front yard to explore the world beneath the suburbs. Now, this sinkhole, it turns out, is going to be very different than most of the sinkholes we're talking about in this episode. Uh, Most sinkholes open up over some kind of void that is formed in the rock below. And as we'll get into, a lot of that usually has to do with water and hydrology. But in this case, the void in the rock below the neighborhood was was a more was a, of a more artificial persuasion. Right. That's because there was an abandoned gypsum mine beneath the housing <laughs> development. 
And so the cavers had to, they had to lower down in on ropes, uh, you know, had to use like actual caving equipment into the dark and sometimes flooded tunnels beneath. Reportedly over 2,000 feet across and 150 feet wide, this uh, tunnel um, complex. Uh, and they encountered the remains of, of what looks like a, an old like 1950s automobile. Yeah. Uh, there's just a whole world down there, like a whole uh, uh, Minoan maze beneath this, uh, you know, rather mundane looking housing development. It's like two levels of weird. So first of all, it's yes, yeah, the suburban you know neighborhood, and then just in the middle of somebody's front yard, a a pit opens up. So that's the sinkhole. But then it's that the sinkhole goes to this maze, and yeah, like you said, there's like an old Chevy convertible down there, and I'm wondering <laughs> why is that down there? Did somebody drive it into the mine before the mine was sealed up? Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's just, it's a place full of questions. It's a place full of the past, of mysteries. And so the article itself gets into some of the community fallout over all this. But, but what I love about this episode is it illustrates for us this divide between the surface world, so tightly manicured and controlled so much of the time, and a world beneath that we have only a shaky understanding of. Like something out of a mashup between Poltergeist and The Descent, you know? <laughs> a gateway to that hidden underworld might open up at any moment and reveal its secrets to us, invite us in, perhaps swallow us entirely, and then we'll be part of that underworld. Because if we're being you know, perfectly rational, without any supernatural ideas, like the, the, that idea alone is terrifying, you know, that the earth might open up and uh, we might fall, you know, into a pit. Uh, but then if you begin to layer in beliefs and superstitions, then yeah, it become, this whole becomes a portal to other realms. Yeah, exactly. Now, we've talked about natural features in the landscape taking on religious significance before, like in uh, we did a couple of episodes called The Sacred Mountain, which was about mountain peaks that were considered to be holy or supernatural or the dwelling places of gods or places that when explored, people often reported having supernatural experiences there. Like one of the things that came out of that was the the often reported third man syndrome feeling that mountain climbers sometimes have very high up. We talked about possible ways that uh, like uh, affect of the sun or that altitude sickness could contribute to that. Um, but there are also ways in which sinkholes can take on similar types of religious significance, can have a similar uh, mythological appeal. And uh, one great example is we is uh, some of the, the sinkholes are also known as cenotes that we see throughout Mesoamerican religion in the Yucatan Peninsula and uh, among the ancient Mayan people. Uh, but I guess we'll, we'll come back to that more later. Uh, I, I wanted to get to this question about the the idea that the earth can open up and swallow you it's an image that seems like to perfectly fit ancient myths and texts you would imagine uh passages like this appearing in you know babylonian texts or something it definitely appears in the hebrew bible uh, for example, in the book of Numbers, there's a passage where Moses is speaking to people and he's trying to demonstrate that he was in fact sent by the lord and he uh he he says and Basically, he makes a promise that, hey, if the Lord has sent me, he'll he'll send a sign and you'll know it because there will be this group of people that will be swallowed up alive into a pit that opens up suddenly in the earth uh, for, for these wicked people who have rejected the Lord. And the passage says in uh, in the book of Numbers, now it came to pass as he finished speaking all these words that the ground split apart under them and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men of Korah with all their goods. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit, the earth closed over them and they perished from among the assembly. 
And so I wonder, I mean, it, obviously with passages like this, I wonder if it's this kind of thing that inspired that scene in every movie that has an earthquake in it where suddenly a bottomless pit opens up in the ground and people get sucked into it. Yeah. You know, this could also be Graboids. If, uh, I think if they want to make another Tremors film, uh, which they will, I'm sure, uh-huh. they should go for, uh, you know, some biblical flair here. Go for an Old Testament Tremors movie with, with Moses being our central character. That's a very good uh, direction. Now, one thing I want to say, because I feel like I have to bring this up every time we, we talk about geomythology, uh, there's this question of, is this story in the Bible based on something that someone in history witnessed, uh, witnessing a real-world geological event, perhaps a sudden collapse of a settled area due to a sinkhole? Uh, and as I pretty much always do whenever we talk about geomythology, I want to emphasize that fantastic imagery in, in myths and legends and religious texts doesn't necessarily need Need to be explained by someone actually having seen something physical in the world. I think we can sometimes go overboard looking for naturalistic explanations of this kind to explain what somebody thought they saw that appears in a story. You know, people are highly imaginative, and sometimes stories are just stories. But there's always also the possibility that stories like these could be based on people hearing stories about having seen, I don't know, there, there was a there was a castle or a building or something like that that was just swallowed up into the earth, which if you didn't have any kind of geological understanding with which to to, to interpret that, it would certainly seem to be a, you know, a, a supernatural event. I don't, I don't know how else you would interpret it. Yeah, because uh, I, I think one of the things that really drives home and uh, when we, we see examples of sinkholes or we hear stories like this, we see cinematic interpretations, is that idea that the that uh, terra firma is not that firm, is not yeah. that fixed, that it could change, that the that the firm ground beneath our feet could suddenly give way, you know, like it, that alone is just this kind of, uh, you know, horrifying idea that, uh, that, it, that it easily applies as a metaphor to everything else in our, in our life, you know, that the thing that is the order that we depend upon might go away at any moment. Yeah, it's interesting to think about like a vertical spectrum of uh, of ways that the natural world can intrude on our lives, and how most of the stuff that we're that we're used to thinking about, taking into consideration, worrying about as as possible threats, all basically takes place like on the surface of the Earth. And that you know, it, when you go to the vertical ends of that spectrum, you've got like impacts from space coming from above, sinkholes opening uh, opening up from below, and these phenomena intrude on that day to day understanding of, of physical forces. Yeah, so it's uh, it's no surprise we were talking about this before the the podcast started rolling here that if if you start looking around for sinkholes online, you'll find just so many galleries, top 10 lists, lots of clickbait about sinkholes. Like sinkholes are kind of they're kind of like a like they're kind of like true crime, you know. Mm-hmm. They're um, they're you also see them like I was noticing like very tabloid sites, sites that otherwise are not going to really have anything related to geology, mm-hmm. but they'll have sinkholes. You know, it'll be celebrity gossip, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know maybe some conspiracy theories, but then also uh, big old holes opening up in the earth. Chum boxes are full of sinkholes. Have you ever noticed this? <laughs> These are the uh, like the link. Um, 
uh, yeah. grids at the bottom of blogs and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. So like you know, like most websites on the internet these days are just being more and more infected by ads that essentially take the form of malware. But if you scroll down to the bottom of most articles or any text image based website, you'll usually see one of these boxes that's full of just like extremely tacky, distasteful images that are either like something that's kind of sexually suggestive in a gross way mm-hmm. or something that is, uh, is sort of has some kind of like health vibe, like it looks like infected yep. skin or holes in mm-hmm. skin uh, or some kind of bite or something uh, like uh, the, the kind of uh, a necrotic bite that you might imagine someone would get in their worst nightmares from a brown recluse, you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, they, they they tie into our like deepest, most primal fears and desires, just pure yeah. eroticism or just pure you know, necrotic damage mm-hmm. or indeed uh, holes opening up in the earth. You know, yeah. it's got to be something extreme like that to make it into that grid of horror. Yeah. Oh, the toilet uh, with the rat coming up through it. You remember that one? Oh, yeah, I think I've seen that one. That was a common mm-hmm. yeah. chumbox image or the like, you know, doctors say never eat this vegetable, but they don't tell you what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it is, um, it is, it, it's economic uh, as well. You know, there'll be some sort. Generally, it's like a picture of an old person mm-hmm. and just a few like alarming words about um, you know investments or retirement or something. Right, but it, that is what funny. a lovely world. It, well, sinkholes are actually. Uh, in their own way. I mean, of course, they can be horrifying. They can be destructive to human life, but they are also fascinating in their own way. In a natural way, they are wonderful. Uh, uh, th- there can be beautiful uh, uh, legends and stories attached to them. And so, I, I don't know. I feel like they are the most uh, naturally beautiful thing that that fits in the chum box. I mean, the rat in the toilet can't compete. I mean, the rat in the toilet, we could do an episode on that as well. But, yeah, I agree. The sinkholes need to be rescued from the, the chum box. Uh, and, and that's kind of what we're doing in, in this episode of Stuff to Blow Your Mind and the, 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 the possible second episode to follow. All right. So sinkholes are formed in a number of ways, but uh, most naturally occurring sinkholes, like most other things on planet Earth, in the end come back to the power of water. Water, of course, is the molecule of life, largely because of its power as a master solvent. And uh, in much the same way, really, that water created life on Earth, probably, it also creates many of Earth's most astounding geologic features. And so this is how we we get sinkholes for the most part. So as carbon dioxide in the air or in the soil mixes with rainwater, that mixture forms a weak acid with the with the chemical formula H2CO3. So what you've got there is you've got your H2O, the water, and then you've got your CO2, the carbon dioxide. They react, they make a compound with two hydrogens, one carbon and three oxygens. And this weak acid formed in the atmosphere or in the soil is known as carbonic acid, and it is the primary reason that caves exist. Now, most caves in the world, not all but most, are formed by the drainage of acidified water through what you might call soluble rock. And uh, soluble rock are types of rock that can react chemically with this water and be dissolved and carried away. Now, there there are multiple kinds of soluble rock, including uh, minerals like salt and gypsum. 
But uh, probably the most important, or at least the most charismatic, is limestone, which is in itself a fascinating and even mind-boggling rock. And uh, sometimes I, uh, I I really do think a lot about limestone, and, and maybe people uh, are, aren't inclined to be as impressed by it as I am. But if you don't believe me that limestone is amazing, I think it's worth considering that uh, the, the, if you live in an area of the world you know, that's primarily resting on limestone, which in the United States would include huge portions of like Florida and the coastal southeast, big parts of the Midwest, if you live in a place like that dominated by this, uh, this carbonate rock, you are walking around every day on rock that is probably mostly built out of dead bodies. Limestone can be formed in a number of ways. Some of those ways are abiotic, but one of the major processes that forms limestone is the gradual deposition of the shells and other hard calcium carbonate body parts of animals and other tiny organisms in the oceans and rivers and lakes, where they accumulate on the the bottoms of these water sources over millions of years. And apparently uh, feces also and general waste products can contribute as well. So the calcium-based body parts of algae and coral and oysters and all kinds of creatures of the sea settle in the deep, and then they're pressed down and paved over by time and pressure until they become layers of sedimentary rock. I really just think about that sometimes. Limestone is largely made out of life that has died and become rock. Like the fallen creatures of Earth pile up and become part of the crust of the Earth itself. Wow, it's like it's like the Medusa's lair, right? Just all these the the, the, the petrified bodies. Oh, you know? that's I wish I'd thought of that when we were doing our Medusa episodes. Except I guess in the Medusa garden, they they keep their form, right? Here they they just sort of like go back to whence they came. They become part of this mass. Yeah. But anyway, it's via rocks like this that we get so many of the naturally occurring sinkholes on the earth. So how, how do they form? Well, imagine there is a storm, it rains, you're in an area with some kind of soluble rock, let's say it's a, it's a carbonate rock, it's like limestone, and rainwater collects on the surface of the earth and then runs downhill. And if that rainwater drains down into cracks in soluble rock like limestone, things begin to happen. Uh, much in the same way that you can dissolve table salt or sugar in a glass of water, the crystal contents of these soluble rock surfaces are gradually dissolved in and carried away by that acidified water. And over tens or hundreds of thousands of years, that dissolution of the rock by acidic water can turn what might have started as this tiny stress fracture in a chunk of bedrock into an underground cavern large enough for a human to climb into. And of course, as the centuries go on, these these voids created by the drainage pathways of water can just get bigger and bigger. They can form underground rivers that form larger and larger voids. And it's this dissolution of soluble rock by water that usually leads to the creation of sinkholes. Uh, though these voids in the rock, uh, I think sometimes maybe geologists will get picky about this. These voids in the rock are not technically themselves sinkholes. And we would normally think of them as voids or just caves, right? They're, they're caves in the rock. Um, rather, a sinkhole is more of a topographical 
designation. It's a topographical concept about the ground and the surface of the earth. Uh, so according to the U.S. Geological Survey, a sinkhole is, quote, an area of ground that has no natural external surface drainage. So like uh, in one of these areas, if it rains, water just pools in and there's nowhere on the surface level that allows this water to run out. So if the water leaves, it's either evaporating into the air or it's draining out through somewhere in the bottom. Sinkholes, of course, can form gradually over hundreds or uh, hundreds of thousands of years, often uh, of, of steady dissolution, or they can form quite suddenly. Uh, for example, when the ground over a void in the limestone below is suddenly uh, just suddenly there's not enough for it to support its own weight, and then it just collapses and reveals the void that had been there for so long. Uh, and we, we know that the sudden appearance of a sinkhole can have these devastating effects on human settlements and uh, whatever is lying on the surface, which we'll get into more later. But it can also have strange otherworldly effects simply on the geological and hydrological landscape itself. And I wanted to share one amazing example that I came across while I was reading up for this episode. This was the opening paragraph in an article for The New Yorker in 2013 by David Owen. There was an article about sinkholes called Notes from Underground, and this this paragraph really gave me chills when I got to the end of it. So uh, if you don't mind, I just want to share this here. In the fall of 1999, much of Lake Jackson, a 4,000-acre natural body of water just north of Tallahassee, and a popular site for fishing, water skiing, and recreational boating, disappeared down a hole like a bathtub emptying into a drain. Trophy bass became stranded in rapidly shrinking eddies, enabling children to catch them with their hands and toss them into picnic coolers. And many of the lake's other fish, turtles, snakes, and alligators, vanished into the earth. At various times during the next few years, the lake partially refilled, redrained, and refilled again. Jonathan Arthur, who is Florida's state geologist and the director of the Florida Geological Survey, was among several people who, during a dry period, descended a ladder into the main opening, which was about eight feet in diameter. Quote, you could climb down 12 feet or so and then walk under the lake bed, he told me recently. I hadn't gone very far before my red flags went up, and I was like, maybe I won't go any farther. <laughs> so, so that image combined with the way it's phrased that that really gave me goosebumps yeah yeah the, the idea of yeah i mean it really feels like like a place you do not belong the you know the the caves beneath the lake that is uh uh, yeah, that, that that could potentially fill back up at any moment. Well, and also, I mean, I think anybody who, especially people who do like scuba diving and stuff, mm -hmm. are made uniquely aware of the dangers of uh, of being in places that combine water and overhead rock. Like yes, th absolutely. Th that that can be an especially dangerous and and suddenly dangerous, surprisingly dangerous combination of, of features. Yeah, I mean, even if you are an experienced cave diver, uh, cave diving is dangerous. Uh, so, um, so yeah, that is a dangerous uh, realm to uh, to go down into for sure. No, I figured it would be worth talking about a few of the different ways that natural sinkholes form. Um, obviously, things will be a little bit different if you're talking about sinkholes, you know, created by human activity. Though human activity can also contribute to some of the things I'm about to talk about. Uh, but but if you're talking about natural sinkholes in a carbonate rock like limestone, um, there are three main 
pathways that were highlighted in uh, in several sources. In my major source here, just being uh, the U.S. Geological Survey, who has great materials about this. Um, and so the first one is dissolution sinkholes. These are relatively gentle sinkholes. You can think of it as a kind of top-down sinkhole. Here, what you should picture is that you've got a thin layer of what would be called overburden. And overburden just means whatever stuff's on top of the rock that makes up the ground. So this means soil, could be sand, could be clay, pebbles, rocks, other material resting on top of the rock layer on the surface. Now, in a dissolution sinkhole, rain comes down and it collects in a depression in the soluble rock and just continues to dissolve and deepen that depression over time as water gradually percolates down into cracks or joints in the rock below. And these tend to form very gradually, so you could picture kind of a, a gentle sort of dip or pond in the rock that water's going into, and slowly over time, it's draining down into the rock below through some cracks or other types of openings, and as it does so, it is dissolving more and more of the rock and carrying it away. The next type would be uh, cover subsidence sinkholes, and this is where you've got a lower level of soluble rock that gets dissolved by the process we've already talked about, you know, water running through it, opening up a void in the rock. And in this case, if the soil or overburden that, that is above that layer of rock has certain physical characteristics, I think especially if it's like a more free-flowing kind of granular sediment like sand Basically, the overburden or the soil above kind of gradually pours down into the void that opens up. You can imagine it being kind of like sand pouring down from the top half of an hourglass into the bottom half. And uh, and that, that overburden pours down, fills the void up partially, but as it does so, it sort of like creates a depression, a visible depression in the surface of the overburden. And uh, the, these types of pits tend to develop pretty gradually and not be all that deep or all that dangerous, right? You've probably seen pits like this before. You're just walking through a field and suddenly there's just a depression in the ground. It, very possibly what's going on there is this cover substance sinkhole. The, the, the soil is just kind of draining into a void in the rock below. Now, of course, it's worth noting in all of this even these uh, milder forms of the sinkhole can certainly be destructive if you have some sort of human um, uh, structure built atop of it right? Um, or a road, etc., cetera, uh, which is uh, sometimes the case. Right. But these first two have the benefit of not being sudden, you know, that right. they're going to take time to develop. The third category, this is the real monster that could inspire the geomyth, potentially. This is the cover collapse sinkhole. And these are the ones that can potentially happen in an instant. And at least in the United States, they tend to be most common in places where the overburden is mostly clay. So again, you start the same way that the last one did. A void opens up in the underlying layer of soluble rock. And then uh, the lower levels of the overburden gradually drain down into the cavity in the rock. And as this happens, what you get is a cavity gradually opening up from, from below and climbing up into the overburden or the soil itself. So imagine, again, you've got a rock with a cavity or a void in it and then maybe a layer of clay and so the clay on the bottom starts to seep down into that cavern below, and it just opens up a bigger and bigger void in the clay. And eventually what's going to happen there is that that void in the clay 
reaches a point where uh, where the collapsing roof of the void breaches the surface, which means whatever is on the surface falls into the hole. And that surface might well be a road or a lake bed or the ground under a building. And this is the example where we can see sudden collapses that can be deadly and destructive and terrifying, because suddenly what you thought was solid ground is revealed to have long had a, had a void beneath it, and suddenly it can't support whatever's on it anymore, and it all goes down into the void. It's basically like a trap door effect, you know, that's the uh, th- that's the terrifying part about it. You know, it's yeah. like suddenly there is this opening beneath us. And and people, you know, can can build things without having any idea that that's what's down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we've we've gotten to the point where if we know what we're looking for, especially, you know, mm-hmm. we, we have more tools at our disposal uh, for detecting sinkholes and potential sinkholes and, right. and, and keeping track of of. Like existing sinkholes that may be expanding, uh, but but expand it may have expanded. But yeah, for, for the most part, like yeah, the 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 idea here is that you don't know what's going to happen, and then suddenly there is this chasm there in the earth. Now, another thing that's interesting to me about sinkholes is that we often think about geological events like earthquakes and volcanoes as what people sometimes call acts of God. You know, natural events that occur for reasons vastly beyond our control and that we can do nothing to stop, but there is some indication that human activity may have more impact on some massive geological events than once thought, and it certainly appears to have an effect on the proliferation of sinkholes in particular. Uh, in other words, sinkhole collapses can, it, it seems, absolutely be invited by human behavior, as we'll probably discuss more as we go on. But in broad strokes, it appears that sinkhole collapses can be induced by uh, so one thing is human construction and other changes in the top level terrain, especially how that affects water drainage. So you're moving earth around and changing the way that water drains on the surface that can lead to sinkhole collapses. But also pumping of groundwater is a huge thing here. You pump out groundwater from deep underground. Uh, the pressure of the natural water that's in the ground helps keep the soil above it in place. So if you take that water out, you lower the groundwater level, you can cause collapses of the overburden lying over now evacuated aquifer voids. Another thing that seems kind of relevant to that story you started with, uh, remember the sinkhole collapse uh, that turned out to lead to a mine down below in South Dakota. The mine was a gypsum mine. So gypsum is a major mineral that's, that's in the ground there. Uh, We've been focusing a lot on limestone, but one thing to note that I did read also from the U.S. Geological Survey was that other types of underlying rock layers, such as uh, minerals like salt and gypsum, those can sometimes dissolve and form voids much faster than even sedimentary carbonate rocks like limestone. So limestone will form these voids with water running through it over thousands of years. But apparently uh, salt and gypsum potentially with the right circumstances can form large voids in in a matter of days or months. Well, let's get into some uh, examples of sinkholes. Uh, and, and granted, there are so many sinkholes that have either existed for uh, you know thousands of years or have just popped up uh, in you know recent decades. But uh, I want to start with one that I imagine is instantly coming to a number of, of your minds, and your, 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 especially when we were talking earlier about clickbaity uh, sinkholes. And that would be the uh, 2007 and especially the 2010 Guatemala City 
uh, sinkholes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're worth mentioning for a couple of reasons. So, so first of all, there are some very dramatic photographs of this thing. Photographs so dramatic that they they look photoshopped. You yeah. know, they they yeah. don't look real. Absolutely, it, it looks like something out of a movie. Yeah, it looks like a, a hole has been like a cylindrical hole has been bored into this cityscape and it just descends into absolute darkness. It is it's a terrifying image. Um, and 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 uh, when this these occurred, I mean, these were dramatic, traumatic events. These were deadly occurrences. The 2007 sinkhole killed five people and required the evacuation of more than a thousand. The 2010 sinkhole swallowed a three story factory and killed 15 people. And in both cases, uh, it seems to there seemed to have been a at least a, a trio of causes. So there was the impact of Tropical Storm Agatha, uh, as well as the uh, Pacaya volcano eruption, uh, but also leakage from sewer pipes, mm. and all of this uh, worked together to uh, erode uncemented volcanic ash, limestone, and other pyroclastic deposits beneath the city. And this case is actually so visually alarming. There's a Snopes article about it, uh, not because there seems to be like a lot of misinformation uh, about the event itself, uh, but it gets picked up continually on social media as if it just happened, as if it just happened, you know, this week or today, as opposed to a decade ago. Right. So the photo is real. The story is real. But it's but what needs to be debunked is that people want to just like reintroduce it as newly relevant over and over again, because it'll always get attention. It's so dramatic looking. Yeah. Uh, there's also a, a good Atlas Obscura article about it, though I have to point out that the Atlas Obscura article, I, I think this is a feature of just things that they have cataloged on the site, mm-hmm. but it says, sorry, Great Guatemalan Sinkhole is permanently closed, <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, which is, it is a weird sentence to read. Now, meanwhile, up here in uh, North America, we have our own sinkholes of note. Uh, for instance, there are two giant uh, West Texan sinkholes in Wink and Kermit, Texas. They're located about a mile apart. And uh, these are similar to the Guatemalan sinkholes in that we have definite uh, uh, connection to human activities. Mm-hmm. These were caused by oil and gas extraction in the area, uh, especially during the heyday of 1926 through 1964. Uh, Wink Sink Number One opened in 1980, and Wink Sink Number Two opened 22 years later in 2002. And I was looking at a 2016 Southern Methodist University uh, study where they were they were taking a look at these sinkholes and the fact that they seem to be expanding because the ground there is still unstable due to changing groundwater levels and dissolving minerals. Um, However, uh, like I said earlier, we're now able to use stuff like satellite monitoring to keep uh, a better track of sinkhole development and progression. But uh, again, this is a case similar to what you were describing earlier, where we've taken stuff out of the ground. And and in doing so, we have disrupted like the, the, you know, the natural balance of things down there, making uh, sinkholes more likely to occur. Looking at a picture of the the wink sinkholes, uh, just not as impressive as some of these because the water level seems to have been filled up pretty close to the top. So it looks like just a weird pit in the middle of the desert uh, that could be like a lake. It's just you know water in it. But uh, but I imagine if you that water were to drain out, it would look pretty pretty messed up. Yeah. Plus the the bar is pretty high for spectacular looking sinkholes, uh, as we'll continue to see as we discuss other sinkholes in the in, in this episode and the the one to follow. Well, so I was wondering what's the what's the deepest known sinkhole on planet Earth? Oh well, if we want to go to the deepest, uh, then we have to go to China. 
That is where we encounter uh, China's. Um, this is the um, the 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 uh, Tian King or the um, the Heavenly Pit, and it's uh, it's named for a nearby village. And then uh, Tian King just means um, Heavenly Pit, and it's located uh, near uh, uh, Chongqing in southwest China. It's apparently six hundred and twenty six meters or 2,054 feet long. It is 537 meters or 1,662 feet wide. And it is between 511 and 662 meters deep or between 1,677 to 2,172 feet deep. So it's deep. That's a big hole. <laughs> it is an enormous hole. And this is one that I recommend looking at pictures of because it's, it's really splendid looking. It's beautiful because it... Um, you you have the it's it's you have this 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 double um it's like a, a double pit there's like the initial pit and then the, uh, the 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 pit below you have vertical walls going down to a little area that tapers off and then more vertical walls uh going down even further there, there's some rich vegetation around it mm-hmm. um it's it's really beautiful to look at and indeed it is a, a tourist attraction if you travel there there are apparently 2800 steps constructed that allow visitors to journey all the way down to the bottom of that second nested pit, uh, which I I was reading. I think it takes you're going to spend like a couple of hours doing that. I think I read that this is also a limestone pit. And yeah, one of the great things about it is pits of the size and of, of this age, uh, you know, it's been around for a long time where the, the surface life has just poured down into it. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. you know, it looks almost like the forest is spilling into the pit. And of course, uh, the, you know, it's a habitat for many animals. I, I think I saw a report that maybe a rare, like uh, the, the clouded leopard had been spotted there, I think. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, you see time and time again, reading about different sinkholes, that they inevitably become uh, like an interesting place to look at biodiversity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll get, we'll get more into that later. But yeah, these, are, these end up being, you know, they're not just, uh, especially ones that have been there for a considerable amount of time, they're not just holes in the earth. They don't remain voids. Nature fills that void. And it does so at, in, in very remarkable ways. Now, there are numerous um, uh, heavenly pits in this uh, region of China, and I can only imagine that there are some really interesting traditions and legends about these geologic features, but I have to admit that I could not find any of them, at least none that had been translated into English. So if anybody out there uh, has that information, I would love to hear about it because a, a sinkhole like this is just its just too amazing. And it's been around way too long. It's been around since ancient times. So there have to be some cool traditions and legends regarding its origin and things that live there, etc. Yeah, like you, I was looking for similar things and I couldn't find any, uh, any, any cultural context for it. But I would love to know if you know out there. Now, I, there is another Chinese sinkhole of note that does have some cool uh, legend applied to it, and that is uh, Dragon Hole in the Paracel Islands. It's 984 feet deep, uh, 299 meters. So this is out in the ocean. It's also known as the Yonglu Dragon Hole, named for the 15th century Ming Dynasty Yonglu Emperor. Um, it's also known as the Eye of the South China Sea. And the tradition here is that this is where the Monkey King, uh, Sun Wukong, finds his golden cudgel in journey uh, to the West. Wow. So this would oh. be his magical staff. If you've ever seen a movie with the, with the Monkey King in it or seen images of the Monkey King, this is his big, amazing fighting staff. So he actually gets it from this pit. 
Well, that is that is what the, they've sort of taken the story and said, oh, this must be the pit. Oh, right? I see. Okay. Because uh, in the story, he has to retrieve it from the underwater kingdom of, of Ao Guang, the dragon king of the East Sea. And uh, yeah, this, uh, this amazing magical staff, the... Uh, the compliant golden hooped rod, or uh, has it also been translated as the "as you will" gold banded cudgel? Um, <laughs> oh, I see. Compliant or as you will? Yeah, yeah. It's um, uh, there. Also, there's legends that this may have been you the great's measuring stick for determining the depths of the great flood. Mm. So it has that would make sense that you know that it would be underwater because it has this connection to the depths. And uh, so anyway, he dives down into this hole and retrieves it. Now, is this uh, this is a picture of this pit that you've attached here for us to look at? Yes. So again, it's out it, out in the water, and it's just like a sudden deep section of the of the water, a hole in the sea floor uh, that contains uh, you know dark depths. You may have seen pictures of sinkholes in tropical oceans like this before. Uh, for example, if you've ever seen a picture of the Great Blue Hole, which has I, I think is in Belize. Um, yes, but, it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the way that looks from above is that, yeah, you'll see a sort of just ring of dark blue surrounded by much lighter blue, uh, as as I guess that just reflects the sudden difference in depth. Yeah, exactly. It's This is very much in keeping with the, the Great Blue Hole, just maybe less dramatic looking, but still extremely beautiful. Now, in 2016, as reported by Danny Lewis for SmithsonianMag.com, uh, researchers discovered uh, f- like something like 49 sinkholes clustered close together while surveying uh, the, the Qinling Bashan Mountains in China's uh, 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 Shanxi province, the largest being 1,706 feet or 519 meters wide and 1,050 or 320 feet deep. So, um, yeah, it's uh, we, we keep finding these things, you know, or in many cases, rediscovering them. And every time discoveries like this are made, you know, it's not just an interesting geologic curio. It's a fresh opportunity to gaze back in time to understand geology, biology and even the, the climate of the region in, in times past. Oh, yeah, because this is an interesting thing you were pointing out when we started looking at this, that uh, sinkholes are often used as a kind of scientific time capsule that there are ways that sinkholes can tell us things about the past that the surface can't do quite as easily. Absolutely. And I think we'll start our next episode by diving into that, uh, discussing the ways that sinkholes uh, are, are very often time capsules that we can unlock, that we can, we can venture into, not just to, you know, to, to, to be in awe of, the, of the, uh, you know, this dramatic environment around us, but to uncover the secrets of the earth and the secrets of the ecosystem. I can't wait. We got a lot of cool stuff to talk about next time. We, we can talk about uh, 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 sinkholes in religion, sinkholes in mm-hmm. space, uh, sinkholes as time capsules. It's going to be great. That's right. And uh, in the meantime, if you want to check out other episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind, you know where to get them. You can get them in the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast feed, and you'll find that wherever you get your podcast. Just rate, review, and subscribe uh, to support us. Uh, we have core episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind every Tuesday and Thursday. On Mondays and Wednesdays, we have, uh, let's see, an episode of The Artifact. We have some listener mail trickling in every week. And on Fridays, we do a little Weird House Cinema. Uh, that's our chance to discuss a weird movie and, you know, not not lean into the science too much, but more lean into the, the weird. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you'd like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stuff to blow your mind.com. 
Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.